Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. California has passed legislation allowing transgender inmates in the state's correctional facilities to be assigned housing based on their gender identity. In September, California Governor Gavin In September of 2020, Governor Gavin Newsom signed into law a major policy change designed to make prison safer for transgender people. California now joins Connecticut, Rhode Island, New York City, and Massachusetts in recognizing... Transgender women held in men's prison face by far the highest rates of physical and sexual violence. This was huge. State Senator Scott Weiner authored the bill, pointing out that transgender women put in men's prisons are often assaulted and raped and put into isolation for their safety. That's exactly where Saia Skylet was when she got the news about the law stuck in solitary confinement for her own protection after multiple assaults by other prisoners and, she says, correctional staff. The prospect of serving out the rest of her time in women's prison seemed nothing short of miraculous. For me, what it felt like was, you know, a, a, a sanctuary, a place to be who you were meant to be without any retaliation, without any violence, without any judgment. No more having to hide in fear, no more having to be quiet about who I really am. Like, no, I was excited. I couldn't wait. But for Saya, women's prison wouldn't turn out to be any kind of sanctuary. This is the California Report magazine. I'm Lee Romney, sitting in for host Sasha Koka. I've reported on mental health and criminal justice for more than two decades. That's how I met my co-host today, Jenny Johnson. I was a career public defender in San Francisco, and for years I witnessed how damaging incarceration can be to mental health. Lee and I have teamed up to explore how our criminal justice and mental health systems are tangled up in sometimes unexpected ways. Today, Jenny and I are headed inside California prisons to examine the experiences of transgender women and how the new law is playing out on the ground. It's called the Transgender Respect, Agency, and Dignity Act. So here's the thing. Jails and prisons have never been safe spaces for LGBTQ plus people. And that's especially true for transgender women in men's prison. They tend to arrive with layers of underlying trauma and face even more extreme bias inside than they did on the outside. Prison conditions are so harsh for trans women that they often hurt themselves just to get to the safety of a mental health bed. The overarching intent of California's new law was to improve the health of trans women by lessening all that trauma. But it hasn't worked out that way. When I first met Saia Skylet a year ago, she was about halfway through a 16-year prison sentence for robbing two stores. 
No one was hurt, and she expressed remorse for her crimes. Then she made a promise to herself to use her time behind bars to explore her gender identity. I mean, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity that I felt I had, and I'd every second, every minute I could to figure this thing out. I've been checking in regularly with Saia and a handful of other incarcerated trans women to understand their day-to-day realities. I recorded our phone conversations. The quality of the tape is not great, and some of it's a little hard to make out, but we've done our best to clean it up and fill in the blanks. A warning, there are descriptions of physical and sexual violence coming up, as well as mentions of suicide. Also, where chosen names and legal names differ, we're using chosen names. Saia grew up in Compton. Her childhood was rough. At age five, she landed in the foster care system after her mom suffered a mental health break. When she was 14, her mother died by suicide. And a year later, Saia tried to kill herself too. It wouldn't be the last time. Before her incarceration, Saia was never out as transgender. The adults in her life were religious and viewed LGBTQ plus people as sinners. Her brothers were gang members, and she did what they asked of her because she didn't want to look weak. I couldn't come out and be myself around people like my family and my friends that I grew up with. I I, I wouldn't do that. I grew up in a hard-ass neighborhood in Compton. I ain't about to fly. Still, Saia harbored a deep secret, one that even she didn't fully comprehend. I would dress up. I would put makeup on. All I understood as a person was, hey, I I like this. If I like this, why is it so bad? Am I a bad person? Saia was still living as a man when she got arrested at age 22. In jail, she was first exposed to openly transgender women, and she was amazed by their courage and joyful self-assurance. It may seem paradoxical, but getting locked up gave her breathing room to fully explore her gender identity. Once she got to men's prison, she chose her new name, Saia Skylet. The first part is an acronym. Sexy, young, intelligent, ambitious, authentic, and heroic. She picked Sky as an inspiration to reach higher limits and lit. To be vibrant, live, put it together, I keep the sky lit. About a year after she got there, she declared her transgender identity on a special form. Before the new law, California prison officials did consider prisoners' requests to move to facilities that fit their gender identity, but only on a case-by-case basis. And the tiny number they granted were all for trans women who'd had gender-affirming surgery. But not everybody chooses surgery. Gender identity is deeply personal, and so is gender transition. So Saia stayed in men's facilities, bouncing from one to another across the state. Saia is five foot five with a big dimpled smile. Her small stature and trans identity made her a target. She says other prisoners assaulted her. Sometimes correctional officers placed her in cells with large men who pressured her for sex. And when she fought for her life or filed formal grievances, she says she faced retaliation in the form of rule violation reports known as RVRs. The more and more I would push back, the more and more they would attack me with RVRs. Still, Saia held true to her promise to herself. By the time her request for hormone replacement therapy was granted, she'd been moved again, this time to one of a dozen or so prisons in the state designated as, quote, transgender hubs. They call them that because that's where services for trans prisoners are concentrated. 
Not only could Saya start her hormone treatments, she could stop MacGyvering her fashion looks. She finally had access to clothing and beauty products that were approved for trans women. She could style her hair, wear earrings. And in prison, she found a sense of belonging with her trans sisters that she'd never known. But that happiness turned into survival real bad. Even at these transgender hubs, Saia and other trans women were mixed in with cisgender men in common areas and in their assigned cells. Many were physically and sexually assaulted. The truer Saia felt to herself, the greater the danger she experienced. You got a nice little outfit on, but guess what you just did? You just caused attention to yourself, and now you have certain people who are making sexual advances towards you, and some of them don't stop. So Saia had to make a soul-crushing choice between her safety and her identity. The hormone treatments caused muscle weakness, so Saia would stop and start them depending on the danger she was facing. Either I'm going to be who I want to be or I'm going to end up dead. She couldn't be herself if she wound up dead. As a survival strategy, it made sense, but abruptly going on and off hormones brings on acute mood swings. It also heightens gender dysphoria something Saia had experienced for most of her life as she hid her true gender identity. For her, it caused depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts. And then prison officials transferred her again, this time to a more violent men's prison. That's where she hit a new low. This is hard to hear, but stick with us. She says she was beaten by other prisoners and witnessed gruesome attacks on other trans women. Terrified, she asked to speak to a sergeant about her safety concerns. Instead, she says, two officers followed her into her cell. One pulled down her pants, ran a baton along her bottom, and threatened to rape her with it. She couldn't believe it was happening. The next day, according to a lawsuit filed on her behalf, an officer pepper-sprayed her at close range. Others beat her with batons. Prison officials don't comment on active lawsuits, but in legal filings, they've denied the allegations. Finally, a sergeant agreed to isolate Saia for her own protection. It's sad to be thankful for a complete solitary confinement. That's a common fate for trans women in prison. She'd stay in solitary confinement for seven months. She was allowed to have colored pencils and paper, so she spent her time reimagining her traumatic past, creating a series of children's books full of gender-diverse characters. Why are you playing with that bulky thick truck? That violent with it's one of my favorite. The first book features a rainbow-colored baby named Unique, who's fully embraced by loving parents, but bullied on the playground. Here's Saia reading. Is there something wrong with you? And on the short walk back, all that kept coming to mind was, why were the other kids saying there was something wrong with me? Unique sets off on a quest to get fixed, and along the way, learns... That being different isn't so different, because everyone is unique in their own way. In her solitary cell, Saia finished two books and got started on a third. And that's where she was when she heard the news about the Transgender Respect, Agency, and Dignity Act. After six hard years of assault, retaliation, and isolation in men's prisons, she hoped to be transferred to a women's facility where she could stop hiding for good. Prison officials chose the Central California Women's Facility, CCWF, in Chowchilla as the place where all new transfers would go first. But according to multiple prisoners at CCWF, plenty of staff there were openly hostile to the new law. They started stoking fear even before the trans women arrived, warning that fakers and sexual predators were heading their way. I spoke to more than a dozen prisoners at CCWF. 
Here are some of them talking about how staff spread rumors. The doors are going to be open for people to come in, to violate us, to rape us. Telling women here that the trans women or men, that they're going to get raped. They're going to come over here and rape y'all and beat y'all up and take y'all stuff. Some encouraged women to do whatever it took to undermine the new law. Take your house back. Take your prison back. They don't listen to me and keep coming over here. Don't let those men keep coming over here. Transgender advocates who helped craft the law were well aware of this toxic environment. They pressed state prison officials to allow them to hold a town hall at the women's prison to diffuse these narratives even before the transfers began. It never happened. Meanwhile, Saia and other trans women who began arriving in 2021 had no idea what they were about to step into. As soon as Saia set foot on the yard with the general population, guards started writing her up for minor violations. Within a month, she was in solitary confinement for having a consensual relationship with her cisgender female bunkmate. Sex is against prison rules, but it's very common. Saia says that when she asked an officer why she was going to isolation and the bunkmate wasn't, he replied, because you're a man and she's a woman. At a hearing to discuss her situation, records show that acting warden Michael Polaris told her he would push to send her back to men's prison. She says he was hostile. Calling me a predator, saying that I'm preying on women. In men's prison, Saia had lived in constant fear of sexual assault. Now, she was cast as a sexual predator. Her disciplinary paperwork suggested she was faking it because she sometimes used a deep voice. The Transgender Respect, Agency, and Dignity Act applies to anyone who identifies as transgender, non-binary, or as intersex. You don't have to look or talk a certain way. In isolation, her gender identity was not only questioned, it was undermined. Saia had trouble accessing her hormones, and she was denied a razor for 40 days straight. She grew a full beard. People screaming at me, yelling at me, calling me a man, and I need to go back to the men's prison On multiple occasions, Saia was sent to a mental health unit for being suicidal. A psychologist noted in a report that an extended stay in isolation would likely increase her mental health symptoms, especially since she was having trouble accessing razors and clothing that aligned with her gender identity. Still, Saia stayed in solitary confinement for eight months before she finally got out. But her new freedom wouldn't last. On the yard, Saia made enemies when she responded to threats and harassment with nasty language. She says she tried to avoid them, hanging out and playing cards with a couple of other trans women and one cisgender woman who was sweet on her. We would hold hands, we would hug, we would kiss. Prison officials aren't supposed to penalize trans women more harshly for breaking rules that cisgender prisoners also break, like the one forbidding any behavior that could lead to sex. But every prisoner I spoke to said guards often turn a blind eye to physical intimacy when it involves cisgender women, not so for the trans women. On May 19th, 2022, Saia and her friends were on the yard drinking prison-made wine. Saia and her girlfriend were kissing. She went to use the porta potty, and the girlfriend followed in a few minutes later and then started throwing up. Saia said she held her hair back. When a guard approached, Saia stepped out and asked a couple of other prisoners to check on her girlfriend. They open the door and they say, what y'all do to our homegirl? 
we don't know what y'all two doing. We don't know what's going on over here. And I said, we just been drinking and she was in the same format. But now it's a commotion. It's a crowd coming up. The girlfriend came out and the guard gave them each a talking to. She was like, I'm okay, Betsy. I love you so much. And I hugged her and I walked away. At Yard that evening, rumors started circulating about a rape. I heard it from like one or two people. It wasn't big until the next day. By then, a fictional narrative had taken shape that in those few moments inside the porta potty, Saia had committed rape. To be clear, prison officials never accused Saia of rape or sexual assault. The girlfriend told them and us that it never happened. Still, the rumors proved to be Saia's undoing. That next day, she was roughed up on the yard by 12 to 15 prisoners who called her, quote, nothing but a rapist. Some were punching her, threatening her, and shouting vulgar slurs. They were surrounding me and pushing me and spitting on me and swinging at me. I requested video of this incident through a public records request, and it took eight months, but I did manage to get a copy. There's no audio, but the video and five witnesses that I talked to as well confirm Saia's account. She gets agitated at some points in the video, and it's clear that she's yelling, but she mostly keeps her arms crossed and she retreats. She never hits back but she's the only one handcuffed and punished. Prison officials said she exhibited behavior that could lead to violence. When Saia pointed to the video as evidence that she wasn't the aggressor, that others committed violence against her, the senior hearing officer called it irrelevant. In a statement, CDCR said state regulations forbid discrimination by staff and grant prisoners the right to be treated, quote, respectfully, impartially, and fairly by all employees. Saia had only been out of solitary confinement for about four weeks. Now, she went right back in. I spoke to half a dozen transgender women who transferred to CCWF from men's prison. They all said they'd been targeted with false allegations from other prisoners and even from staff. There was a woman that went over to the officers and told them that I touched her vagina and her breast in the day room and they reviewed the camera and saw that I was nowhere near this woman. They would allege that I had exposed myself. Then I'd have to go to the cameras to show that I did not expose myself. Then they would drop the write-up to a lesser write-up. case does stand out in one crucial way. The false rape allegation went viral. Her chosen and legal names were all over the internet. One outlet called her the perpetrator of a porta potty rape. I'm Inez Stepman with the Independent Women's Forum. Jennifer That's because as soon as the Transgender Respect Agency and Dignity Act went into effect, an anti-trans organization started working to roll it back. The Women's Liberation Front, which is a radical feminist group, they have filed a lawsuit on behalf of some of these incarcerated women, claiming that the law puts female inmates in danger by housing them with biologically male inmates. They were looking for a villain. The rumors about Saia fit that narrative perfectly. Despite the fact that there were no eyewitnesses, no prison investigation, and a girlfriend who said it never happened, attorneys for this organization made the rape allegations public. All of this led to Saia's unraveling. On the tier in solitary confinement, those taunts of porta potty rapists were endless. I, I can't live this down. I'm guilty by hearsay. Solitary confinement isn't the same for everyone. Some prisoners are allowed cellmates for company. Saia wasn't. Some are allowed out onto an open yard. Not Saia. 
she had to exercise in a cage that's about 12 by 8 feet. She was like an animal in a zoo, surrounded by other prisoners who were calling her names. Even when she got to go to mental health groups, she was forced to sit in a cage the size of a telephone booth, known as a therapeutic module. Multiple studies confirm how damaging long-term solitary confinement is to the mental health of prisoners. So it's no surprise that Saia was struggling. She punched the wall until her hand bled. For a few weeks, she was medicated against her will with high doses of antipsychotic drugs. A judge would determine that the prison had violated her civil rights by force medicating her. Saia lost faith in her clinicians. She went off all of her medications, not just the hormones, the ones for depression, anxiety, and PTSD. All of this affected her impulse control. Saia's verbal outbursts, they escalated. Everybody's calling me a rapist. I tell people, stop calling me that. Then I'm a problem because I say things like, well, if I'm a rapist, then you a rapist. And then it's like, oh, now he's a threat. He's arguing. He's, he's aggressive. Saia told me that cisgender prisoners had threatened to stab her, even chop off her penis. They'd done it in front of officers with zero consequences. Yet, just about every time Saia erupted with her own verbal threats, she was written up. Prison officials have used those outbursts and the enemies she's made as justification to keep her in a cage. I'm in a cage by myself. Saia's attorney has filed a claim about how she's been treated in women's prison, which means CDCR can't comment. We do want to acknowledge that a lot of cisgender prisoners at CCWF were truly scared of the newly arriving transgender women, especially at first. All that fear-mongering from staff and outside anti-trans groups didn't help. But those fears appear to be unfounded. We requested discipline data from the prison. During the first two years after the new law took effect, prison officials didn't issue a single rule violation for physical or sexual violence to the trans women who came over from men's prison. Write-ups for violence were common in the rest of the prison population, though. It turns out there was a violent predator at CCWF for much of Saia's stay, allegedly more than one. And they weren't transgender women. They were cisgender men, employees of the state. The now retired correctional officer is now in jail after he was accused of sexually assaulting more than a dozen inmates at the Chowchilla Women's Prison. Gregory Rodriguez was a longtime guard at CCWF. He was allowed to retire in 2022 while under investigation. 96 criminal charges have been now filed against 55-year-old Gregory Rodriguez. In addition to those charges, numerous lawsuits have been filed against him in federal court, contending he lured prisoners to a suite of offices where there are no cameras and forcibly raped them. One of those alleged assaults took place on the same day that the crowd surrounded Saia, assaulted her, and called her a rapist the same day she got sent into isolation. That was 17 months ago. She is still there. Six women recently settled their cases against Rodriguez for nearly $4 million. This past summer, more federal lawsuits alleging sexual assaults by staff were filed. Four of the named victims are transgender women. Saia is one of them. Her suit contends that Rodriguez and acting warden Michael Polaris demanded sexual favors from her, Quote, for the purpose of humiliating, degrading, and demeaning her. I feel dirty for him to have me come into that room. It's just so dirty. Polaris was demoted in January of 2023 after the Rodriguez scandal broke. 
He's an associate warden at a different prison. But when I reached him there, he declined to comment. Prison officials wouldn't say whether Polaris was under investigation, but in a statement, they said CDCR investigates all sexual assault allegations and, quote, resolutely condemns any staff member who violates their oath and shatters the trust of the public. All of this has left Saia shattered. I don't even understand who I am anymore. I'm full of anger, hatred. Ooh, hatred is huge for me right now. I'm lost. I'm completely lost. Being in isolation for two years means Saia hasn't had access to the kind of programming that would earn her good time credits and earlier release, like school, work, vocational training. That and those nonviolent disciplinary write-ups have added more than a year to her original 16-year prison sentence. Now, prison officials are again recommending that Saia be returned to men's prison. It requires a hearing that's been postponed now for 17 months and counting. She's flip-flopped on whether to go back voluntarily. She thinks it may help her get out sooner. But with that false label of rapist, she's terrified. They would kill me because of the allegation. I don't know what to do. Still, Saia's preparing for the possibility. She started working out so she can fight for her life. If she does end up back in men's prison, she plans to keep her gender identity a secret. California's law was meant to protect transgender women, but the culture at CCWF and rising anti-trans fervor all over the country have exposed them to new traumas. Implementation has been slow. Only about one in 10 of the prisoners who've requested transfer have been moved. The three dozen or so who made it to CCWF, they're the vanguard. Many, like Saia, have really suffered. A small number were allowed to transfer to a lower security prison in San Bernardino County. They've fared slightly better. One is working to organize an event for Transgender Remembrance Day to educate other prisoners and correct some of this rampant misinformation. Advocates say that's the kind of education they'd hoped to conduct at CCWF from the start. They're still waiting. When asked about these harsh conditions for trans women at CCWF, CDCR said in a statement that the prison system is committed to providing, quote, a safe, humane, respectful, and rehabilitative environment for all incarcerated people, including the transgender, non-binary, and intersex community. Sa'i and I have talked dozens of times over the last year, and our calls became one of our only opportunities to open up. Do you have any new news? No, I was calling because I just wanted to talk. Okay. I have no way I can be real with but you, and it's, it's hurtful. I'm just so tired. I'm tired. I cut my hair off. I sold my earrings. I don't even like myself. Saia had been growing her hair for more than eight years, ever since those trans women in county jail lit a fire inside her. Making herself bald-headed, as she says, is a sign of just how much she's given up. She also threw away those children's books she'd worked so hard to bring to life. I feel myself, I'm not going to get emotional or emo with this stuff no more. But I'm holding on to my digital copies. If and when Saia is ready, unique, and the rest of the characters from her books will be waiting for her.
Our reporting was supported by the Fund for Investigative Journalism and the California Healthcare Foundation. And I especially want to thank all the prisoners who spoke to me for this story. This work is part of a podcast that Lee and I are creating about how bias makes its way into our intertwined mental health and criminal legal systems. It's called November in My Soul. And that's it for this week's California Report magazine. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. Katrina Schwartz is our interim senior editor, with Sasha Koka filling in for her this week. Our producer-director is Susie Racho, with help from Izzy Bloom, Jessica Carissa, and Olivia Zhao. Our engineer is Brendan Willard. I'm Lee Romney, sitting in for Sasha. And I'm Jenny Johnson. Thanks for listening. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? It's history, it's people, it's unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get The Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.